Hey there. Today we're welcoming Ayush to Sling Talks. Ayush is our founding product manager here at Slingshot, joining us from Datadog, where he led one of their key AI initiatives. Today we're going to be talking about human in the loop, what it means for you, and what's in store for the future. Feel free to join the conversation and let us know what you think. Welcome to the show, Ayush. Super excited to be here. So what does human in the loop mean to you? I mean, that's a super interesting question. I think, first off, I've heard so many different definitions from so many different people, depending on the context, depending on maybe even what's convenient for their use case. And so maybe we start with, it's not even, human in the loop is not a well-defined term, right? Sometimes we might consider human in the loop to be a process that has a little bit of machine learning and the human is a decision maker and still guiding most of that process. So maybe you think of like, you know, resume automation where a sort of, it might get reviewed by an ETS system and you get resumes passed down the line, but then it's recruiters every subsequent step past that. And that can be ML, that can be any data science, that can be heuristics, but the point is that humans are a strong part of that process and most of that process. Yeah. Whereas we might be talking about labeling heuristic or algorithm using some, let's say, GPTX, and it's labeling some, some images for you. And you might just have a human reviewing them at like split second, half a second per labeled image to do that analysis. So human in loop, it can mean someone's, a human's, every single decision is going through a human. It can mean every bit of analysis goes through a human or just edge cases go through humans. So in the case of resumes, I think resumes are just a funny case here because if you want to be very minimal in what you mean by human in the loop, you can say, oh, our recruiting system is completely human in the loop. It's definitely not automated because every single candidate that we ever accept for a job always goes through humans. In fact, they go through like several human interviews. So of course it's human in the loop except for the candidate who's rejected, who says, how come I was rejected without a human ever looking at my resume? So then if you say every decision goes through a human, then obviously we're talking about a different bar because it means you can't reject a single candidate without a human looking at them. So I imagine telling someone like, oh, well, you know, humans are core to a recruiting process isn't going to make that rejected candidate feel any better. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. And I mean, uh, even if you talk to a recruiter and you get rejected through an email four days later, it's not it's still not a fun experience, right? Yeah, still doesn't feel very human in the loop. Like if you have a recruiter who just says like, hey, I sent your resume to our, you know, black box team and our black box team said no, no further comments, you're rejected. I don't know if it really helps that it was, you know, oh, I promise a human looked at it. Like, does it actually make you feel any better? Like, do you feel like, oh, it wasn't sexism, it wasn't racism, because at least I know a human looked at it. Like, I'm not really sure that that solves the fundamental things. Like, we want to throw a human in the loop here, like into the resume evaluation process in particular. And I'm not really sure that humans are the thing we're actually talking about, as opposed to something more like fairness. Ah, so I think you're hitting the nail on the head here. It's not about feeling good, right? In any process, really what it is about, I think, is liability. And if you look at structures in the world, they're so tightly built around the concept of liability. Like insurance is a huge industry. It's just all about liability. Resumes, people, like we have thousands of years of human history that are built around who gets the blame? And I think the core question now in machine learning and AI is, who do you blame when AI messes up? How do you blame AI? Dude, I feel like I hear this so often everywhere I go. It's always about this liability thing. And they're like, oh, you need humans. We're going to need humans forever because of liability. And like, I'm never going to trust, you know, if an AI looks at my x-ray and tells me that I have cancer, I'm not going to trust it until a human tells me because of liability and the AI is never going to tell me directly. And I really don't get it. I could be wrong here, but I don't think from anything I've heard from lawyers that there's actually any special changes in liability as a function of whether we're dealing with a human or an AI. As in, if I have if I go to a doctor and my doctor tells me I have cancer and they were negligent, they were wrong, they were stupid, you know, whatever, they were drunk that day, I can absolutely sue the doctor in the hospital for making a mistake. Like, absolutely, right? And I don't think that lawsuit is any different as a function of the doctor. I mean, like, if I can prove that the doctor just like straight up wasn't good at their job and like they don't know how to look at x-rays or whatever, I think it would be pretty analogous, which makes me wonder like, is liability just a boogeyman? Like, well, I, So who are you? Let's say there's no human in loop at all, right? Yeah. There's no doctor reviewing um, yeah. an x-ray or 
a mammogram or a CAT scan or whatever, and you just have a model punching through, and the and the, the hospital provides you a result. Do you sue the and and let's say the model is contracted out to some company like some healthcare ML company that's training their own models and fine tuning them to get you the best radiology results? Yep. Who's liable? Is it the hospital who's using the model? Is it the company that trained the model? If it's getting a ton of things wrong, if you know, at the end of the day, the doctor has the malpractice insurance, and you can sue the doctor, and they're more like an independent contractor than an employee in that way. Okay, my favorite analogy here, I heard it from Ezra Klein on one of the podcasts he was on where he talks about like, if I buy a microwave, microwaves have normal consumer liability stuff. So like if I buy a microwave and someone takes the microwave and like bashes someone else over the head and kills them, the microwave company isn't liable because like, what the fuck, you're not supposed to bash people on the head with a microwave. On the other hand, if I'm, you know, Ezra Klein and I have a little kid and my kid comes over and punches a bunch of buttons on the microwave and it explodes, I am liable, right? I guess the only real message to me when I'm hearing this story is like, there is a such thing as liability. Like there are consumer rights and this is not like a new topic, right? There's like an entire field and it's not a very technical field. And it makes me think like, if you have an AI that looks at x-rays and tells you if the person has cancer or not, we're just talking about a medical device, which means that the normal regulation for medical devices would apply. And I'm not claiming to be an expert in medical devices, but like if you know that the medical device was bad, like absolutely the medical device company should be liable. If we know that the medical device is like way better than anything else, better than humans, it still has mistakes, but they're not like especially crazy mistakes. Like it's still very rare. You know, the liability would be the same, I would imagine, or the same category as a human where if a doctor said, hey, look, I get this right 99% of the time. I made a mistake, but it was because there was a shadow and I couldn't have known. I'm curious, like, is there anything actually that changes as a function of the fact that now there's like a third party? Like, or if I went to a hospital and the hospital contracted out to a doctor, would there be any difference in liability that there's a doctor rather than a medical device being the one reading the x-ray? No, no, I I think that makes sense. I think what you're asking is actually a a topic in like auditing. So when you talk about doctors, like what are the certifications they go through to become a doctor? They go through boards, they go through medical school. When you talk about a microwave, it's been audited by different regulatory boards to say, okay, well, this can be a microwave now, right before you can sell it in America. What is the auditing function of a machine learning model? And I think it's interesting you talk about ATS or resumes because New York State just recently, I think it was like 2021, just recently pushed out a law. It was like... No, it was 2023. 2023. Pretty sure, isn't it? I think it was just in the last few months. Maybe, but I remember it was uh, Local Law 144, New York State. Oh. Right? Local Law 144, New York State, regulating AEDT or like automated resume parsing systems, where they use machine learning, data science, analytics, artificial intelligence. It's, the language is very broad, which is incredible because it's like one of the early... American and definitely New York State attempts to regulate machine learning in a category. And it's such a sensitive category because you can sue a company if you think that they rejected you on unlawful grounds, right? Yeah. And so they're requiring that these automated systems cannot be used flat unless they're audited. And so what does it even mean to audit an ML system? I think the point there is like, it's not about, you know, nobody's against progress for no reason. I think it's about making sure that the shift of liability gets to the right place. So rather than saying, oh, we don't... I'm not sure it's a shift in liability. I feel like New York isn't saying like, I want to be able to hold you liable if you're racist. You were always liable if you were racist, right? Like that hasn't changed. I think New York's adding like a level of... But you can fire a person, right? If I had someone racist on my team reject someone for racist reasons, and then I fire that person, I'm still liable as a company. You can still sue my... The fact that I fired them made no difference. Similarly, if I have a tool and it turns out the tool's racist, I can throw away the tool, but I'm still liable because I had to do my due diligence and I didn't in both cases where I had to review the person. So I don't know. I think that there is real concern around AI liability, a huge amount. I think there's real... You know, I'm not sure that the audit process is like the right way to evaluate a system. But the main thing that throws me off is if we're talking about human in the loop, I can't imagine why any liability factors would be any different for a human than a machine. And if I had to guess, I would say the reason why you wouldn't want an AI telling you you have cancer based on your x-ray is because right now, 
generally speaking, it will be less accurate than a human. That doesn't mean that under like laboratory situations where, you know, we actually have had x-ray, like there are absolutely like a ton of experiments where AIs are way better than humans with asterisks all over the place. But in the general case, right now, having a human in the loop in medicine increases accuracy. It's as simple as that, right? So when it comes to reading x-rays, we should have humans in the loop until that point where humans in the loop don't add any value. And it's not for liability reasons, it's for accuracy reasons, right? That said, like, again, if the accuracy reason changed, to me, I'm like, throw out the human in the loop, right? Or would you want to keep a human doctor in the loop if you could just send your x-ray to an AI, like you personally, and you'd get like straight up the same result or like a more accurate result? Yeah, I think so. I think what you're talking about is a question of human psychology. I mean, it's a bedside manner. Maybe even if a human was very, very slightly less efficient or accurate, maybe I would still want a human. I do wonder if this is like just a generational gap. And it's funny because you and I are the same generation, but still like one of those, for me personally, I laugh about this. People are always talking about like the human touch and paying more for it. And I don't know about you, I would rather have an Uber that was self-driven with no driver than an Uber with a driver most of the time, not all the time, but like enough of the time that I would probably, maybe it would make my life worse to like choose to go driverless, but I would still do it for those times where I'm like, I kind of just want the car to sit there and wait for me and then open the door for me and whatever, like magically, you know, and, and be able to talk on the phone in the back or whatever. But an Uber is not somewhere where you usually desire bedside manner, right? I think that's different. I would go for full self-driving too. Especially because full stop driving is like an arm and a leg better than people driving. Like it's there's a lot of data to show autonomous cars are better. I'm just thinking about when I go to the doctor and my doctor tells me anything. Like I'm always fact checking them. I'm personally I'm always the one googling it because my doctor gives me like a few minutes of their time. I can put an hour into researching online and going through WebMD and such. And I'm going to get way more than I will from the doctor talking to me for a little bit. So I don't know about you, like even right now. I've known my family doctor for 23 years. You know, I've known him for almost my entire life. I've been going there a couple times a year. I know his family. I know his daughter. I know his wife. And so there's a huge human experience you can't replicate. And this is why the argument for human in the loop as the first step in the journey of us getting to fully autonomous, the sci-fi version of AI almost, which I I believe in too, right? Yeah. Um, But I think the difference is we're talking about incremental steps rather than a whole jump all the way to no human in the loop at all. So I think we've when we're talking about like what is human in the loop, we were talking about first like every decision goes through a human or every bit of analysis goes through a human. And now there's sort of like the bedside manner human in the loop. I think if we're going back for a minute, I think that every bit of analysis one is the one that's sort of like most ridiculous. So if you imagine like the resume use case, maybe you have a model read through a resume and extract a bunch of information about the person and then makes a decision. And maybe you have the explainability to know like these were the factors considered. Gender wasn't one of them, just for example. And yet, you know, the if you had to have a human in the loop, the human would have to, for example, it would notice that occasionally the model makes mistakes on extracting. So it looks, it was ambiguous on the resume, how many years of experience the person had. The model thought it was 10, it's actually five. Person should have been rejected, but they were accepted or vice versa, right? And I think like if you had to have every bit of analysis go through a human in a case like that, you would literally just eliminate the value of the system, right? Like straight up. Yeah. No one would use a model to decide how many years of experience someone has if you then have to read the resume and make sure it's right, because it takes just as much work to read through it carefully and figure out how many years of experience as to extract the model. And once you have someone doing it, like the model added no value. So I wonder, like, there's kind of like the extreme side of like every analysis, all the way to the other extreme side, if there's no analysis, there's just bedside manner. So, you know, in this case, the recruiter calls you up and tells you you're rejected on the phone. Or the doctor calls you and tells you that you have cancer on the phone. You know, one of those like human bedside manner, but the actual decision making process, you know, all we're doing is we're like human washing it, essentially. Yeah, I think that might be the liability thing, right? Which is like, have the AI do the work? Because what we're talking about is algorithmic complexity, right? The number of times you touch that resume, you know, is that scalable? Is it an N squared number of times touching the resume? Is it an N time that you're touching the resume? Is it even less? which could be super cool. So So when you say that, you mean like if it was O of N, that means a human had to read through top to bottom roughly. 
as opposed to like, if it's less than O of N, it means a human only had to look at like tiny segments of the document or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Is it like a human has to look at half of the data set every single time or half of a half of the data set every single time? Yeah. Like, is there a way that we can scale it down? Because problems in life are always a problem of scale, right? Things are just growing in complexity and scale, storage, number of people, size. So that's on the efficiency size. That's on the efficiency side. There's also the side of like quality, which is like, in general, I would bet that models maybe today, maybe not today, maybe not for a few months, but I would imagine that models can do a better job reviewing resumes by a long shot, actually, compared to humans. I agree with you. I, I think models can be less racist, less sexist, less all the things that we care about them being less... And deeper. And deeper. Like they can read through, like I get a two-page resume and on the middle of page two, there's a project that's described for a paragraph. And even that, like it takes a long time to read through that paragraph. A model can read it and be like, dude, that is the most exciting project I've ever heard of in my life. And therefore I'm advancing this candidate, which means it'll actually just be better then humans be less biased. And a model can listen into an interview and maybe pick up more analysis that way. But at the end of the day, exactly, human being is working usually with another set of human beings. And so there is a lot of the human element you can't remove, especially in recruiting. I think medicine is an easier example to argue about because you can really separate it into two categories where you have the analysis step, finally the diagnostics, the analysis, and then the delivery of a diagnosis if you're talking about diagnostics. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's a good case, right? Maybe there's a new term. Maybe we're looking at a new class of problem, which is human washing, where the AI does all the analysis. Yeah, you're talking about human washing. I feel like human washing should be distinguished from human in the loop, though. Like, even though we don't do it, like when we're talking about liability, people love to talk about that human washing. It's not real human in the loop. I would say like the concern I would have on the quality side is what happens, like let's talk about Tesla's fully self-driving for a minute, right? So Tesla's fully self-driving, I think is like the typical example of human in the loop. They're like, it's fully self-driving. That's literally in the name, but a human still has to be there and like hold on and like pay attention just in case we hand over to you. So the human in the loop is like, we need you. In this case, it's not, you know, be ready to override. I guess it is be ready to override all the time. Sometimes the car might hand off to you, but also be aware in case the car starts doing dumb shit, right? Yeah. So in the case of Tesla's fully self-driving, from what I've heard, at least the car tends to not be as good all in all as an average driver under good conditions, right? So if you took like a good driver under good conditions and then compared it with Tesla's self-driving on its own, the human would be better. So the question is basically like, if you take Tesla's fully self-driving at a human in the loop, do you ultimately get higher quality driving with car plus human than you would with human alone? So uh, have you ever seen the uh, SAE levels of automation? What are you talking about? Is this the level one to level five driving? Yeah, it's a level one to level five driving. That is like a definition of human in the loop in the context of driving, yeah. right? Where I'm looking at it right now, where level zero to level two is like you are driving and there might be a cruise control essentially, right? The definition is you must constantly supervise these features and you must steer. And if you go all the way to level four and five, it says these automated driving features will not require you to take over driving at any point. Yeah. And so there's a clear line where level three is when the feature requests, you must drive. And I think level three is dangerous as hell. That's kind of what I was going to go for, which is like Tesla's fully self-driving is scary. Because if you tell someone, stay vigilant all the time and be ready to take over, humans suck at that. I think there's some statistics about like planes on autopilot. And like one of the more common types of plane crashes now is where the plane is on autopilot and the human just becomes so complacent because like they've been in a plane, you know, a hundred times flying this plane, always on autopilot. It's always doing a good job. And then all of a sudden the plane's like, we need you to take over. And the pilot's like, what? How? Where? Why? What? What do I do? Yeah, the number of Uber drivers in New York I've seen that have a Tesla that have been on their phones while they're driving their Tesla is unreal. But it makes sense, right? Like, so what I would wonder about is like, if we take this beyond self-driving, like in the self-driving case, the risk here is 
what happens if we can prove that, you know, the car is good enough that car plus human is better than human alone. But in practice, there's no such thing as car plus human. Because once you say it's car plus human, the human becomes negligent. And as long as the car is worse than the human on their own, we actually have more crashes. And I think that's the kind of thing that can happen all over the place. So we look at it and we say, like, let's say with resumes, we're going to have the AI go through all the resumes and tell you what you think of the candidate. Then we're going to like have a human in the loop, which is really just human washing in this case. We're going to hand the human a resume with like an evaluation. It's going to say accept, reject, right? And then the human just looks at it. And the first 30 they look through, they actually look at the resume. They look at it and they're like, I agree. After 30, they're like, you know what? I looked at 30. They were all correct. I'm just going to hit yes. And the truth is like maybe a few times they look at it, they disagree. Analysis, they look through the resume more deeply. And then they're like, you know what? Actually, I think the AI had a point. Like my first intuition was that this person went to Harvard, so they need to be accepted because I'm stupid human. And then I looked more in depth and now I understand why the AI rejected. So at some point, it's like the human's like being retrained to learn that the AI's analysis is better than its own analysis. And then at some point, the human becomes so useless because all they do is hit agree, 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 agree. And on net, their accuracy may actually go down because they're becoming so negligent, because they're becoming so trusting of the system, even if it's not warranted. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable argument. I mean, I think it's not a clean analogy because when you're talking about Tesla full self-driving, it's a continuous engagement versus, I mean, I think what we can start to define human in the loop maybe a little bit and say that human in the loop is when a human controls a decision point and a process in which machine learning or AI are involved or any kind of analysis involved. Wait, in the fully self-driving case, that's, I feel like that is a lot of the debate. Like, is the human actually continuously monitoring? You know, like, can you fully monitor, you know? That's the intention. Humans are horrible at multitasking, and so the answer is probably no, right? And that's a very well-researched psychological process. We also get bored. We also get bored. We just get bored really easily. But the idea is that if it dings and says, you need to take the wheel, you probably will take the wheel, right? If it says, ding, 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 I'm going to stop driving and take the wheel. I don't know. It might take 5, 10 seconds before you take the wheel, because you might be, like, so zoning out. Even if you're staring out the window, you might be so zoning out, because you haven't done anything in so long. Another good example to me would be security cameras, right? Like imagine like level three security camera. So you can imagine below level three sort of security camera. The security camera says occasionally I'm going to pick stuff up, but most of the time I'll miss it. So I'll supplement if you miss something, maybe I'll let you know what I think, you know, if I think that a security incident is taking place. You get to that sort of like level three of like the security cameras like, I'm pretty good. I'm going to capture it most of the time, but occasionally you're going to have to jump in. And I think that's the part where the security camera watcher guy like sort of falls asleep. Like no matter how hard they try, I'm not saying they're lazy. It's just like if your job is to, if you imagine this, like there's the, the Swiss cheese kind of analogy where you have like holes in the Swiss cheese and your job is like to watch where the holes are, but you don't know where the holes are. So basically there are no incidents. There's nothing interesting to look at. You're not watching people walk in the front door. Yeah. Like maybe before you were watching every time someone walked in the front door, walk through this hallway every single time you're watching and you have like a thing you're doing every time. And now you're like, don't worry about that. Just watch for whatever the AI misses. And then you're like, I mean, that means like one event per month. Yeah, when you talk about accuracy, I think it's impossible to argue that AI will not become more accurate than human beings. It it will be very soon. And in a lot of cases, it already is. And we talk about full self-driving. Full self-driving is better than human drivers. Like it's, it's full stop. It's not though. That's not necessarily true. This is like a hugely contested issue. It is true that when you compare all driving to Tesla driving, that's true. But you got to be careful here because Tesla drivers are rich and generally live in cities that are rich. That's true. It's hard to isolate. And most crashes take place from like trucks and stuff. So I think there's actually a ton of evidence that at this point, self-driving cars are very, very good, but they're still not at the level of humans because humans are just like insanely good, especially if you're talking about in areas with well-paved roads where Teslas are driving anyway. So do you think that the quality issue is like determined to be that AI would be better in quality at general 
tasks over the period of five years, 10 years, 20 years? I think there's kind of like on any given task, you look at the scale of how good AI or computers, whatever, are compared to humans. And you look at it and you say like, basically, as soon as AI starts to approach humans, we get this like really strong push and intuition for like, can we start handing off to AI? Maybe we could do human in the loop. And human in the loop to me is like this middle ground that makes no sense where you're like, oh, well, the AI, you know, humans are 99% accurate. AI is 97% accurate. Put them together. And then it's like 99.9% accurate, like amazing. But in reality, you put the two together 99 compared to 97 and you get like 97.1 because the human barely adds any value on top of the AI because they become so negligent so quickly. And so like the scary bit to me is this fake story of like human in the loop, I think, where, you know, you're imagining that you put it together and get that 97.1. But in reality, yeah, you just led to a net drop. And if it's okay in this context to have a net drop, that's fine. If it's not okay in this context to have a net drop, then basically we have to wait until AI isn't 97. It's actually 99.1. And as soon as it's 99.1, you hand off altogether. Yeah. Especially, yeah, for these contexts where human in the loop is impractical. And I think self-driving, human in the loop, I'm not sure, but at least in some circumstances, it's impractical, like autopilot on planes, security cameras, some of these where you'd really want human in the loop, but it feels very impractical. You know, when I was reading this economics blog, and you were talking about one of the big revolutions of economics being when early theories like uh, Smith and, and would, would focus on humans as being rational actors, right? Rational people, rational actors that make rational choices in self-interest. And later, many, many decades later, even a century later, when people started questioning whether humans actually are rational actors, and maybe we aren't, and maybe we make decisions based on emotions too. And I think it's in that class of problem where even if the machine might be more efficient, it might be 99%, even if it's less efficient to have a human in the loop, we will still tend to want someone in the loop. And I think that's kind of what we're converging around. Maybe it isn't an efficiency question. And this, this, this may be where we disagree. I'm thinking the opposite, man. I think the risk here is the opposite. The risk is, I tell you that you're talking to, and like, think about GPT-4. Like, it's brilliantly smart, but people do treat it like it's sentient. And you do notice some cases where you look at like a weird output and you're like, oh yeah, it's because it's a language model. It's completing what would likely have been in a sequence of text if this had been on the internet, because that's how it was trained, right? It's not sentient. And yet we're able to attribute such motivations, especially if you talk to someone older, they use GPT-4, they see a result, and it's amazing to see the explanations they add on top for why the AI did what it did. Reverse justification, yeah. You know, like, especially if they don't understand the mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, they just like look at it and like, oh, I get it. The AI was probably thinking of like the German version of this book or like whatever, you know, and the explanation might be sensible, but like 99% of the time, I think it's not. Yeah. It's just that we're so quick to judge that GPT-4 is like generally a smart, quote unquote, that we're able to then like raise the bar and expect that it's better than it is. I think similarly for a lot of algorithms, you start seeing the AI be pretty good. You see it drive a car, you know, a mile with no problems. And then you're like, oh my God, it's human level. And maybe we see like a cult of superstition. But like humans crash one in a million miles. And maybe we see a cult of superstition around AI and maybe it becomes an oracle. Because what you're talking about is like the oracle here, right? Which is like, it becomes sort of, sort of oracle and people just implicitly trust the data. And I mean, there's plenty of precedence in human history for that. Exactly. Where like you look at the resume, you look at the AI's results. And at some point, prematurely, you say, oh, well, if the AI would have rejected this candidate, maybe I should have too. Even if it makes absolutely no sense, just because it's called an AI, it feels like an AI. It's been right so many times before. We love to anchor. We love to be lazy. On the other hand, I think there is, sorry, I want to be clear that this is where every bit of analysis goes through a human style human in loop. There is, I think, like the good case of like, the only edge cases go through humans, right? Of like this dynamic where you think about automation and accuracy as two separate axes, right? So you have an AI where you're like, we're going to go through resumes. Of our resumes, a bunch of candidates are based in geographies where we're not hiring. Can you just go through and reject anyone that you're certain is in a geography that we're not hiring in? And then we can measure the accuracy of the model and we can measure the automation. So we can say, for example, you know, we had in this group, 100 candidates who are from geographies that we're not hiring. The model automatically rejected 90 of them. 
of the 90 they rejected, all were correct. And so we'd say the model is 90% automating. So it only automated 90% of the given task. There were 10 that it left for humans, but it automated those 90 with 100% accuracy. And I think those are the beautiful cases for human in the loop, right? Like when you're not sure, you hand off to a human. So in the medical case, maybe look at an x-ray. If you're sure it's cancer, you're sure it's not, you let us know. But your accuracy better be way high, like very superhuman. And for the remaining ones, we'll send them to a human. And the expectation, I think, is actually in these cases, not, you know, we went through 100 x-rays, 90 of them were obvious, 10% we sent to a human and the human found it obvious. A lot of the time, the 10% will mean we should do the x-ray again because show it to a human and they're not sure either. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I think that's a very fair kind of way to break it down. I also think like it sounds great in a thought experiment kind of way, but I'll give you an example. Like I'm Canadian. I'm from Canada. I went to Waterloo. All of my resume might say, you know, I'm from Toronto, Canada or Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, but I'm eligible for a certain set of visas to come to the U.S. And you need to ask me because maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're the recruiter and you need to talk to legal to, that I can get a certain set of visas to work for your company. And so there's also like an element of additional inputs, like asking for additional inputs from the human. That's also kind of, you could call that in the loop because maybe your data is incomplete and maybe a model can recognize that as well. But exactly all of the fuzz in the world, which is everywhere, in my mind leads us to like an 80-20 or like a 70-30 where you might be thinking of a 95-5 in terms of the human input in the loop. And, and but it's a slip. Although I think you're bringing up a good point of like the human in the loop is it necessarily an analogy to the AI? And I think more and more the answer is no. Meaning like customer service. I send a message. So I've been like really pissed off at Google recently because they had an issue delivering an order for me. Anyway, they had address wrong and I went back and forth with customer service and it was, you know, it was way worse than had it been AI, in my opinion. Meaning like the person was saying like, oh, as soon as it delivers, just return it to us. And I'm like, wait, but like, I just told you it's not coming to me. How am I supposed to? I also don't want to return it. I just want to get it, you know? And it was one of those, like, if you imagine an AI, an AI doing customer service here maybe can take the low-hanging fruit, can take 80% of it. And then maybe for the 20%, the human in the loop is the customer, you know, and the AI comes back with a set of questions and it doesn't solve it. It just says like, that wasn't clear enough to me. Can you provide some more information? And maybe that is enough to get it over the threshold. Or maybe Google, you know, doesn't have such a big customer service team. It's much smaller. But the people who are there are the ones who are authorized to take on complex cases or to take on, you know, where actions needed. So then, you know, comparing to your example, if you're applying to a job and an AI reads your resume and can't figure out if you're eligible to work there, you know, the answer isn't hand off to a human who's just as good as the AI, a recruiter wouldn't know either. The answer is bring in experts, because in this case, we need the legal department. Can we bring the legal department in the loop? So the legal department can say, yeah, this one looks good, you know? So I wonder, I think part of the framing here is like human in the loop usually is like a dumb human, quote unquote, you know, like, or like an average human, a human without any special expertise being compared to an AI. And it seems to me like if we are talking about human in the loop with the automation accuracy framing, perhaps the non-automated ones go to a different human, right? It's not the same human in the loop. It's a better human in the loop. Ah, uh, she was saying, so it's a, it, you're thinking of a tiered system where the average human is in the loop first, and if it needs to be contested, then you bring it up to a specialist human. Yeah, that's an interesting system too. Yeah, so maybe like yeah. the equivalent of, you know, recruiters are reviewing resumes, there's also a hiring manager, the recruiter occasionally brings things to the hiring manager and says, what do you think? In this case, we sort of replace the recruiter, but the hiring manager is still in the loop. It's just that now they get the key resumes where they're like, this candidate is very high potential, but I'm not clear that they meet the bar. Can you review it yourself? And now it's, again, not like bring the recruiter in the loop, it's bring the hiring manager in the loop. And also now the hiring manager isn't lazy, like we were talking about before, like the security guard who's watching over a million feeds, because they're getting so few resumes that when they actually get the resume, they read it because they know that the AI wasn't sure. So this is essentially, in AI terms, this would be like the uncertainty quantification category. Can the model quantify uncertainty? 
Can it identify those key cases? And then this also translates to the active learning story, where the model specifically goes to that expert, goes to the lawyer, goes to the hiring manager. And when it gets the response from the hiring manager, it can learn from the response so that it does a better job on those edge cases in the future. And do you think the next step is full autonomy where the human is not needed in the loop anymore because the AI is so damn accurate? It's more accurate than a human would have been in the first place or a set of humans? Yeah, I'm very bullish on this kind of like, on this form of human loop, the expert human in the loop, you know, bring someone in that's really good. But strictly speaking, we need to be sure that that person is better than humans. I think that's okay because it adds value, but we need to be really careful. I think one of the risks with human in the loop is anytime that you throw in human in the loop, but every bit of analysis is still repeated by a human, that's where you get no real value. If we have, you know, this form of human in the loop that only takes up a small number of cases, will the human be eliminated altogether? I mean, yeah, really quickly. Realistically, you imagine this hiring manager case, you know, or you imagine the legal case. These are all edge cases that the first model doesn't know. But at some point, the model does know all these things. And the level of expertise just keeps rising, right? So this is sort of then the framing of you imagine like the edge cases are being squeezed, but squeezed upwards. So now, you know, someone says in the customer service case, like, imagine the package didn't arrive. And if it doesn't get here by Christmas, I don't want it because then I can't give it as a gift. And, you know, now the agent would need to go onto the UPS tracking page and see when it says it's going to arrive. And maybe if it says arriving 24th to the 27th of December, they're like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. Maybe they write a reply, whatever it might be. It's a complex case. And initially, it can't go to the lowest level person. It goes to someone who can reasonably answer that because it's a really hard query. But at some point, whatever the answer is, the model can just learn and start doing that and find other avenues to completely remove humans, which might be, hey, it's the 24th to the 27th. I need you, the customer, to make a decision here. Do you think it's too high risk? Do you want me to cancel it? Or do you want to let it go through? And so the human in the loop, you know, changes from being this like squeezed expert to some other model. No, that totally makes sense to me. Totally makes sense yeah. To me. Anyway, I think it's interesting. That I guess we talked about the idea of like every decision goes through a human, every bit of analysis goes through a human, only edge cases go through humans. You know, who are the humans in the loop? I think you and I are going to disagree strongly on the human washing and liability thing, which I find hilarious. You would really rather a doctor talk to you than an accurate AI? Depends on how inaccurate the doctor is. If it's within my confidence interval, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather doctor talk to me. Even an equally accurate doctor? Yeah, 100%. I would, I would want the doctor 100, 100 times over, of course. I mean, bedside manner is so, 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 so important. And you think of like cases of wanting an abortion, for example. Like, would you rather consult a machine or would you rather consult a doctor that has experience performing these and can talk you through your emotions? There's so much philosophy and life. Yeah, there's so much philosophy that a doctor does with a human being in moments of stress and difficulty. And that's really, really hard to uh, replicate. Could you replicate a therapist with a machine learning model? I mean, I'm, people do and maybe you can. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're talking about all the right things, because personally, I would like way prefer a therapist who's an AI. And this might just be like I was saying, a generational thing. There also might be, I think I, I heard this really nice analogy about horse and buggies. We never automated horse and buggy drivers, because the job was like incredibly general, incredibly hard. You know, someone sitting on top of a horse. And, you know, the horse has to go to the bathroom sometimes and they hurt their foot sometimes and they have to sleep at night. And then at some point, instead of we never automated that because we got cars, you know, and then when we think about cars, we have drivers who become increasingly robotic, right? They're just driving the machine and automating a driver of a car sounds just insanely easier than automating, you know, someone riding a horse. That's going to not happen for quite a long time. I would imagine like robots that can ride a horse are going to take a lot longer than robots that can drive a car. I mean, he drives cars that drive themselves. Analogously, I think it's sort of just like what moves out of the domain of the doctor, you know, like, it's not so much like, is the doctor the one telling you about something, but more like, is it do we even think the same way about the task? So 
you're trying to think, I mean, what was your case? You were talking about like the, should I have an abortion kind of case, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's sort of like, if you imagine that there's someone there who's there to like, you know, support you emotionally, just be physically present, give you a hug. We're increasingly talking about a nurse, not a doctor. Yeah. If we're talking about giving you the statistical facts, yeah. I think it's more like that car direction that like, we would take that role away from that person. And as such, the role changes. Yeah, I know. I think that's a really strong framing. It's not the same persona who rides the horse as the person who drives the car because, you know, cars don't go to sleep at night. There's more and more that's taken away. And therefore, like when you're like, I just want to know the facts, like statistically speaking, what is the risk of this procedure? I don't need a doctor telling me doctor doesn't want to tell me at some point because they don't trust themselves as much as a machine. Maybe they type it in with you. Maybe they don't. But if that happens, I think that role of doctor who was a doctor no longer is a doctor. Like we are talking about a concretely different, maybe new role. Maybe it's just the same as a nurse. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your mom. That's a great point. I mean, actually, that's actually a really, really strong framing, which is maybe the role shift and you shrink the role and you shift it out. So yeah, maybe if doctors are machines that consume a bunch of medical data and are supposed to produce as a result, which is true in so many fields like diagnostics and pathology, where they might just be in a lab the whole time, right? Yeah, no, I, I 100%, 100% and agree And maybe, I do wonder, I, mean, I think this relates to the like recruiter versus hiring manager discussion, right? right? Like of do you stop sending resumes to a recruiter and just send it to a hiring manager? Analogously, in like the medical domain, does this mean you stop, like you were talking about your family doctor who you like and trust, do we stop going to the family doctor because you're able to bring it in the family, essentially? Like what if it becomes like, you know, mom literally becomes the doctor because mom has all the medical training because they just have an AI. And then, you know, what it means to go to a doctor, all that like bedside manner. Maybe it's a nurse, but maybe it's not. Maybe it is a therapist, you know? Maybe there's some sort of like therapist-ish role. Maybe your partner or your family has all that bedside manner that you need and it'll always be better, right? If you can get a deterministic answer. Would you rather get a cancer diagnosis from your mom or from a doctor who you maybe you've seen once a year? And I mean, I'm sure most people would. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I don't have a family doctor, so that's why I'm like- Might be, might be, yeah. Maybe it's just a me thing, but it also could be. It's also like the generational thing, which is, I don't know for sure, but I'd have to bet that over time, you know, fewer and fewer, you know, millennials and Gen Z over time have family doctors and have that kind of relationship with their doctors, especially with like change in medicine in the United States, at least. And in the UK, when I was in the UK, I also did not have a consistent doctor. I think like the discussion for another day for me and you will be though, like, you know, can we replace therapists, you know, and that is much more, I think of like, what do we think about humans kind of question? Yeah, that is a very like rather than human in the loop, but that's like a human washing bedside manner. There's a lot of interesting psychology there as well. Yeah. Although I guess maybe this is also the like 99 versus 97% thing of like, I think that there might be top therapists and top psychologists that are actually better than AI, but surpassing 95% of therapists with AI, I actually don't think will be that hard compared to where we are today. And that's kind of where it's just like, where's your bar at? Is your bar that someone like gives you support, you know, in the way that your mom does? If so, yeah, maybe that's different. Maybe that's hard for you to get because the AI is only on a screen. It's only like a character. It's only like speaking out loud. You don't actually touch it. On the other hand, when you think about like most therapists today on Zoom, you know, multitasking, that's kind of where I'm like, maybe the bar for therapists has gone down enough that yeah. the areas where AI can excel so incredibly it actually like being, you know, you go to an AI. I, I, I was thinking about like, when you watch some TV shows, I was watching Suits and Harvey gets a therapist and she's so freaking good. And I'm just like, I don't think in my life I will ever have a therapist that is at the level of Harvey's therapist. And, you know, she is on a screen. I never met her in person, you know, like if we can get everyone Harvey's therapist, I have a feeling that you would maybe trade that for all the bedside matter human washing things. It's a problem in evaluation, first of all, right? I and mean, when we talk about topics like this, the first thing we need to do, you know, if we're kind of trying to scope out the problem is what are our assumptions? And then especially how do we evaluate? How do you evaluate a therapist? It's so hard. Yeah. And how do you evaluate that model against that therapist as well? So actually, a lot of it is a problem in evaluation first. But yeah, I think that's a great topic. That's true. And I guess, relatedly, the alignment problem, which is where a lot of people want human in the loop, which is like, what happens? I guess this is like the scariest sci-fi topic, Paul. 
which is, you know, everyone's wondering what happens when AI has to make real world decisions. Do we go to war? Those types of questions. And that's where you're like, oh, I want a human in the loop. Yeah. You know, I don't want to trust an AI to come up with these human value decisions. I mean, personally, I didn't even know if I'm convinced there, right? Interesting. Like, would I, do I trust more, you know, an elected official in a country who ran against one other person and was voted by the majority, you know, like by a slim majority? Or would I trust some sort of algorithm to make even those really crazy big decisions? All right. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on. So all in all, just to get your final take, what do you think? Human in the loop, how big of a feature does it have? I think because of all the friction, fuzz, and you know, complicated edge cases in the world where people might not be acting fully rationally, human in the loop is uh, here to stay for a while, whether it's less efficient or more efficient. I think it's here for a while. But I don't want to take a short-termist perspective, but it's that humans are horrible at predicting in the short term and a little bit better at predicting in the long term. I thought it was the opposite. Or we overestimate what will happen in the next year and underestimate what will happen in 10. Yeah, that is what it is. I think in the next five to 10 years, human loop will grow. And like this will become like just such a huge topic about what exactly does human loop look like. I think in 10 plus years, human loop will start to just really shrink and disappear. And the idea of like fact checking an AI with a human, I think is just going to like fall to zero compared to fact checking an AI with an AI compared to all the other, you know, repeat the x-ray because I can't figure it out compared to get a human in the loop to read the x-ray. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Anyway, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Speak soon. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.